I'm not here for I'm not here for intellectual exercises. I'm here for anti-Semitism, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Speaking of anti-Semitism and socialism in one country, let's talk about uh, Jeremy Corbyn. One horrible country, horrible island nation. Hey, soon to be several countries. Yeah. Fuck yeah, it is. God, that's the that's the only that's the, the only bright solution. silver lining. Yeah. This is great that, chaos that, under heaven, and the situation is the, excellent. That is the only conceivable solution to, to all of this. The, the idea that Corbyn's position on Brexit was untenable, like, it seems to me that's the only competent position is to say, because all fucking Brexit was on the ballot was like, hey, do you want to leave the EU? And people said, yeah. But like, it didn't say like, do you still want like freedom of movement in in, in, in Europe? Do you, you know, do, do you still want any of these other things that are sort of um, collateral benefits of Brexit. So the only thing that could make any conceivable sense is to say, whatever the plan we come up with that will result in us leaving the EU, we allow people to democratically decide whether that's the plan that they want. So we the Brexit was a, a referendum on like a big global idea, but there was nothing granular about how it was going to be accomplished. So it seemed to me that Corbyn's position that we will have a plan and push it back to the voters to decide, do you want this plan or do you want us to go back to the drawing board? Was I mean, fuck, what's the alternative? Hard Brexit, which that seems like something that voters weren't super interested in, at least if you, you know, trust the media, which I guess you can't trust the media anymore. But, but I mean, um, I think, I think you just hit on a, a major theme <laughs> of what this discussion should be about. <laughs> but I mean, all of the... Whenever, whenever we were trying to, uh, whenever they had fucking Black Rod or whoever the hell come and knock on the door and like get you know shoved off the chimney sweep or whatever, they they they. Are you just making like, fun of British people right now? What are you saying? <laughs> yeah, all the chimney sweeps voted for Brexit, but they didn't seem to like hard Brexit. If you can believe things like you know the Guardian, the Independent, and stuff, like I I just don't understand what people expected in this horrible island nation um, hello and welcome to the regrettable century <laughs> i'm chris hey it's steven and who else is here uh uh, uh and i'm kevin <laughs> and i'm jason and uh today we are talking about the worst country on earth the second worst country on earth yeah we're still hell world with like a bullet yeah, we're, we're talking the second about worst country on earth. The second the, Brexit referendum, <laughs> right? The second Brexit referendum, which turns out uh, hard Brexit wins, knocks it out of the park. Yeah, that that seems to be what uh, what people preferred. Uh, I I still don't. I can't wrap my brain around what hard Brexit is actually supposed to look like in practice because none of these like specifics are are you know hammered out at all like how are any of the rest of the eu countries supposed to interact with with you know the uk now especially when you have scotland and ireland that are saying you know we still want freedom of movement we still want to be part of whatever's happening at least to a certain extent and then you have you know england saying we're we're just gonna go all out like i I don't understand well I think that's why we're all getting together to talk about it, right? Someone, let's, we're going to solve this. Someone try to understand this. 
We're going to fix this tonight. We're going to call up England, tell them to try again, <laughs> and to use our plan. Why don't we start with what actually happened? The concern. What happened was... Boris Johnson just became just entered into the pantheon of most powerful conservative leaders in British history alongside Winston Churchill and Margaret Thatcher. And that so, really should make everybody feel really bad. So yeah. would Nigel Farage have been like more absurd or less absurd? I mean that that'd be like if I won the prime minister. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's just... I, I mean I'm because if, if people in this horrible island wanted this hard Brexit like UKIP was on the ballot. Like, if this is what you, you know, what you people wanted, then I, I don't understand why they didn't go for this, you know, back when Nigel Farage was on the ballot. Well, UKIP was always a, just a Brexit party. So when the conservatives came out saying, well, we're going to get Brexit done, um, that immediately took away the only thing that UKIP had going for it. And then the conservatives were also saying, all right. We're going to stop all this austerity stuff, and we're going to increase social like social welfare again. We're going to go back to a little bit more of the nanny state that you know and love, right? And all that UKIP had going for it, and all that the Brexit Party had going for it, was just like xenophobia, right? And you know that's not Which is enough. Great. Man cannot live on xenophobia alone. <laughs> as good as xenophobia is for the you know for stoking people up and scaring them into doing things uh the promise to to roll back austerity was i think the thing that made that made the conservatives palatable well one of the things we can't forget too is that i think that they said that three million voters stayed home that, that would have normally voted labor yeah that's the thing that makes absolutely no sense to me is three million people that voted in that voted labor in 2017 just didn't show up to vote in 2019 and i don't understand what happened between 2017 and 2019 to make three million people decide that jeremy corbyn was not the absolute boy anymore like well why don't we i was thinking about this why don't we dedicate a bit of time to just fully making sense of all that happened and then let's dedicate some time to like the myriad of takes of why and then let's spend a little bit of time talking about what it is that what do we think it means I think there's like a, a three-part outline that can keep us focused enough to to uh, spend some time on each on each of the each of the granular details because a lot more happened than just the classic what why what format. <laughs> yes, what why what? Um, it's a di- it's a dialectic, right? Because the the second what is pregnant with the why, and the the previous the, what the third what is the synthesis. Yeah, this this part's not <laughs> this part's not staying in. Right, so yeah, like, it is. <laughs> it's fucking garbage. Right, because okay, so like, the big, the the most obvious thing is that the Conservative Party under Boris Johnson won this fucking super majority, three hundred and sixty-five seats out of six hundred and fifty. Yeah, and Labor lost like eighty-six. Right, um, but just as significant, Labor, and it's probably significant that it happened under Corbyn. Labor lost like in a historic way like they're comparing it to the the other guy from the 80s who didn't do well um, Tony foot uh that guy michael foot michael foot michael foot it's the most british name of all time yeah it's pretty british um and so like that's i don't know i think nigel farage is <laughs> the most british name of all time but you it, it's so michael foot it's, is the most it, uh working class british yeah that's right 
it's so hard to pick because you have like Jacob Rees Moog like sleeping on the back bench and stuff, and uh, there's just that, so many. That like... just sounds like a, a name we would make up for a British person. <laughs> but so, but, like, look, just as significant as those two things happening is all of the other stuff that has happened, like the Scottish National Party got 48 out of what is it 54 55 uh Scott, the scottish states. national party cleaned up they won the whole goddamn country right uh the the and, and labor lost historically in scotland as a result of that right and and the labor also lost historically in its you know industrial heartlands or whatever but well, then yeah. also like northern ireland returned for the first time ever a majority uh republican mp's for uh, fail and most importantly of all, the Liberal Democrats didn't gain shit. That yeah, might they be. Lost, they lost seats. Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah. That's the best part ever... about this whole election. We don't ever have to see Joe Swenson again. Owning the libs. Wasn't it that every single um, Labor uh, representative or every Labor MP that defected because of they Corbin, all lost their they, seats as well. Every single one of them lost their seats. Yeah, all of them ate shit. So basically, looking at the face of the situation. It's impossible to tell anything. Like anybody who can look at what happened and sum it up in a sentence. But I mean, the no. the sentence is 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 just Brexit. I mean, that that's what people, at, at least by and large, seem to think was the uh, deciding factor here. Um, Corbyn did not, I guess, in twenty seventeen. Uh, was running on the idea that he was going to respect the referendum. In twenty nineteen, he was not as you know clearly supportive of the decision that those people made when they voted for Brexit. And that's how everybody seems to want to sum this up. I mean, labor lost the heartlands. They, they lost all of the post-industrial hellscapes that, you know, supported Brexit the hardest. Uh, but they like cleaned the fuck up in London for all the good that does. They cleaned the fuck up in all of the metropolitan centers. Yeah. Which is, which is the American democratic party way of like trying to drive out vote. Like we'll we'll make sure we you know we beat the Republicans by double digits in New York or something in New York City, but we'll lose Ohio and Florida and, and any other place that fucking matters. Right. So like let's let's dwell on that for a little bit. Brexit. Right. That's the one that seems the most obvious. Is that uh, they really fucking wanted Brexit and they meant it when they voted for it. So like, I mean, yeah, that's probably too surface level, right? But that's that's a good place to start like in the in the first layer of analysis it looks like this election was a referendum on brexit and the two really solid positions leave and remain um like you know leave we got a resounding um uh mandate a refreshed mandate remain looked scattered and disorganized and spread out across a couple of different places and then the people who couldn't decide between the two um, stay at home. We're just fucking routed. You know, yeah. that's what happened to Labour. So, uh, what happened was God spewed them from his mouth. <laughs> well, so biblical, so biblical reference about being lukewarm. That's yeah, right. Anyway. I got it. Sorry. So, yeah. so yeah, what she... happens is you have Corbin is 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 the shadow, you know, PM or whatever, and Brexit, at least the hard Brexit that Boris Johnson was peddling, seemed incredibly unpopular unpopular to the degree that it resulted in Corbyn calling for a general election and getting it. And so I don't understand how 
um, the tea leaves were so misread at the time that the general election was called because, I mean, at least in reading popular media, it seemed like that was the right decision. And organizations like the DSA seemed to also agree at the time that the general election was called that this is the right decision to make uh, and that it was basically our election to lose. I was, I was just going to say that what we've learned from this is that the entire British media class deserves to be strung up for the lampposts because they, that this is just a historic, just fucking case of malpractice on the part of the media in misrepresenting what the mood of the people was on purpose in an attempt to try to change the polls, in my opinion. And on top of that, just smearing labor. Right. At every chance. Yeah, I mean, the method, the, the, the tactic seems to have been to try to convince people to change their minds by virtue of proving to them that they already have. And it, uh, right. it didn't work. And uh, I mean, that's, that's what they do. And that's why Donald Trump is president. Yeah, because we were all told that it was a, Hillary Clinton was a shoe in right? Right, right. And, and I, we all believed it. There were very few of us who actually saw the writing on the wall. And those people were guessing, um, you know, and the, the it was every single reputable outlet and every single semi-reputable outlet was projecting Hillary Clinton to win. Even Trump thought Hillary Clinton was going to win. You know? Well, and I think yeah, he, didn't learned... Ryan, he, he didn't write a fucking acceptance or like a, a you know, whatever, a, a speech for in case he won. He a, a, his entire campaign was operating under the assumption that he was going to lose. To be fair, he doesn't really write anything. I'm not. Sure. Have you seen his signature? I'm not sure he could write. Nobody didn't uh, he have a concession speech prepared? Did he? Yes, exactly. <laughs> what I like, remember, somebody uh, write he a did not personally write any of that. It's um, the, the 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 point of the turn of phrase. <laughs> Obama didn't write his victory speech. Like nobody, none of these people write any of their shit. They but the the point is to say that the 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 entirety of their campaign was not prepared for a victory. Yeah, it was all off the cuff. But what what I remember and what I'm 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 I don't know if the same phenomenon has repeated itself, but I remember in the run up to uh, the 2016 election that, that Hillary ate shit on. I remember like Rachel Maddow being on and was like pumping this idea that Texas was going to turn purple. And they were talking about all of these like arch conservative states that were were going to, you know, flip blue or, or turn purple or whatever. And I wonder with so many media outlets repeating that same story, that same idea that, that, you know, these, these really conservative states were all of a sudden in danger of, you know, turning blue because you were going to have wave of democratic voters. I, I, to what extent does that just depress turnout? Because people are like, well, she's, you know, she's got this in the bag. What do I need to go vote for? I mean, I, I don't have an answer to that. I don't think I know, but I do think, I I mean, I want to, I want to take up a, a comment that you made a little a few minutes ago about, you know, this seemed like the right move to call for an election. I think uh, I think it was. I think the, everything else after that and everything else before that was the wrong move. I mean, look like, yeah. like let's let's go through the timeline here a little bit. Uh, after Tony Blair, you've got Gordon Brown who loses to uh, David Cameron. And then you've got Ed Miliband, who loses to David Cameron. And labor looks like it's in utter disarray. Labor looks like how it does right now. 
Labor should have just like disbanded after losing twice to David Cameron. Labor should have disbanded that, after nominating Tony Blair. <laughs> yeah. But then Corbyn wins the leadership election with 65% of the vote. And then hundreds of thousands of people join the Labor Party and brings it back up to pre-Thatcher era levels of membership. And then becomes the biggest party in Europe. Becomes the, yeah, the biggest in terms of membership party in Europe. And uh, then they, uh, you know, Theresa May calls the, uh, the, snap, you know, the snap election. And Labor surprises the shit out of everybody. And it looks like they're on the cusp of, like, Jeremy Corbyn could easily be the next prime minister. And Theresa May is lucky. In fact, she's ruling only by virtue of the fucking most retrograde political outfit in, they could find in the Democratic Unionist Party. The what? the people who, you know, in response to the IRA killing policemen would just go kill anyone who was Catholic, what, no matter what age. So, like, up to that point, things look really good. And then they start calling Corbyn an anti-Semite. They start saying he's best friends with Jerry Adams. They they start demanding that he, uh, at that labor, be a Remain party. And things get confused. And the thing is, like, they were on the upswing. Contending for power is what a political party is supposed to do. But the great misstep is to try to contend for power and appeal to everybody. Because there maybe was a Remain majority or maybe it was a, a Leave majority. It was never really entirely clear, right? But the, the bigger question is, what what is it you want to do? This is what you campaign on is the thing you think should happen. And campaigning against the referendum that had already won just looks bad. It looks like, oh, I don't actually trust you. And, you know, that's what happened is that three million labor voters stayed home and the rest of them couldn't decide between the Tories and labor. To me, it's, it, to me, at least on this first level of analysis, it's pretty easy to see that like waffling over something so decisive as the Brexit referendum cost labor the election. All other things considered. <laughs> I saw this one article. I think we all read this against Alexit, the case for socialist internationalism or something like that, which was basically making the case that a left Brexit is a, a you know an oxymoron and that it's just playing into the hands of like right wing nationalism, and that seemed to be like what a lot of uh, a lot of the the influx into labor was saying. And a lot of people who are generally in the orbit of the left and who aren't like necessarily Marxists or, you know, Corbynists at the time kind of had that opinion as well. A lot of my friends from the UK um, had this like vague idea of, you know, we're going to turn Great Britain into a social democracy and then Europe, the rest of the European Union will follow suit. You know, it'll be like a socialist European Union instead of what's more likely is that European Union will never let social democracy happen, right? Well, it's not, it's not, yeah, a, it's seems... not a democratic institution. It, it's not reformable in that sense. I, right. I'm it's... interested to hear, like, Yanis Varoufakis's, like, theory of how he's going to approach his this project of creating a left internationalist project of taking over the EU. Like, never mind the... Uh, the... The, the worthiness of this as a goal unto itself just set that question even to the side just how are you going to accomplish that the, the, the member na- representatives elected uh, uh, by the member nations don't have any power to actually 
uh, overturn the, the the entire basis of what the whole fucking thing is, which is to uh, is a neoliberal project of sweeping right. aside local uh, social democratic reforms in favor of uh, capital's uh, international interests, or what, uh, and it's that, that's I I don't how do you yeah how do you go about changing a thing that doesn't allow its constituent members to change it there's no coherent left-wing um, way to reconstitute the eu as it exists like it's just well, so, it's not possible but that seems to be and from what i can tell what a lot of people thought was going to happen a lot of people who probably were turned off by uh corbin even ever entertaining supporting Brexit. And I, I know a couple of people in particular who, who, who identified, longtime Labour supporters, identified Brexit with xenophobia and were unable to disassociate the two in their minds and said, I'll never support Corbyn because he supports xenophobia. And then you, hear, you, you get that a lot from like, you know, the people that, this, the more, cosmo, more cosmopolitan, less working class people who had uh, come into come into labor and who had um, probably not really identified with the people who were affected most by the draconian measures taken since the since the 90s as a result of the UK being involved in the European Union well so in and walking away from brexit for a second uh, sort of what I what I thought at the time was going to be an effect an effective um, campaigning measure was to juxtapose um brexit what brexit would mean vis-a-vis maintaining the nhs and that seemed to be the way that that corbin was trying to reframe the conversation is if you want a hard brexit you're probably going to lose the nhs because one of the terms that the united states uh is is putting on the table in order to help the UK cooperate with the Brexit is, hey, you should, you know, check out our, our, you know, cool new pharmaceutical companies and privatize the NHS. And I really thought it seemed to make sense. And it's to the me. Tories uh, uh, managing that, that Brexit process, which, you know, no matter what uh, the the figurehead Boris Johnson says one way or the other about it, the, the Tories are going to engage in the process of privatization of anything that they're administering. Right. Uh, right. Well, that's, that's really like again. I think that's where that's the misstep. The 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 because that's all true, and the people you know, you, right? L- Labor has had a pretty good track record of being able to like win and maintain support on the basis of being the NHS party, right? But mm-hmm. they counterposed Boris Johnson's Brexit with the NHS rather than since Brexit is happening, do you want it? people who were going to take the NHS away or do you want labor who brought you the NHS the pro- the problem is that they still always like you know the 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 campaign being waffling on whether or not Brexit would happen the idea of going to a second referendum and putting the population through another several years of that like the, of that process um you know like it's to me this is this is not the same thing as a defense of a le- a exit position uh cuz like look i don't live there you know, I don't know for sure what the best position is, right? Although historically, opposition to the European Union has been uh, the purview of the left because it's very obviously a banker's republic, you know, a, a, like a banker's confederation of, of a, a way of s- subverting national projects like 
um, like what happened to Malta and a whole bunch of other countries when they acceded to the EU and they had to liberalize uh, their their labor markets and all these other things. But it's more just that it's since it's happening. So the idea that you could somehow pull back the tide of of, of a of a referendum is it's it's deeply insulting. You know, I don't think that Corbyn had to campaign as a Brexiteer to be able to say the Tories have driven this are driving this country off a cliff and if Boris Johnson is prime minister when we come up against the last Brexit deadline we're going to lose the NHS if Jeremy Corbyn is prime minister we can save the NHS we can do these things right like Brexit doesn't have to mean catastrophe but it will under the Tories what that sounds to me like to me is like a, a better better messaging on on Brexit, uh, without taking, uh, w- without have, you know being forced into the position of actually taking a hard pro-Brexit line, uh, I I think, I, um, I think what you said is 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 on point insofar as you said that um you know our description of what the Tories are going to do with NHP is true. I don't think that people, uh, but the, the, a thing being true, I don't think necessarily translates into actually people actually like believing that and that that belief motivating them to act in, uh when it comes to the their their voting choices i think that a lot of people saw like their lives have already been destroyed by the eu that is a concrete reality to them right what's not a concrete reality is somebody's gonna take away the nhs ah yeah right that's not actually gonna happen come on i want out of the eu Right. Like that's how people are responding. That's kind I, of what I mean. People wanted Brexit. People wanted it because they wanted to leave the EU. And it's an expression of historic weakness on the part of the left to think of internationalism as whatever the liberals have managed to work out while we've been away. Yeah. Yep. OK, so an- another thing that sort of plays into the same type of thing is that Labour's manifesto was popular. It inspired a lot of people, but when it came down to voting on this stuff that seemed like it was pie in the sky to them and whether or not they could get away from the EU, which they knew was ruining their lives, I think that a lot of people thought, yeah, well, that all seems great and everything, but the one thing that I know that I want, labor's not really giving me. Yeah. So uh, nationalizing the rails and... Promise after promise after promise that Jeremy Corbyn made, which really fired up the left-wing base, kind of, I think, just started becoming like white noise to people. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that's the way I see it. And I kind of feel that way about Sanders to a certain extent in the United States, but I'll save that for another conversation. I was going to say, I, I definitely want to get into that in the like final third of this is, you know, because yeah. I think I think we do have a tendency to not we as as a group of individuals, but. In this country, we have a tendency to look at a world event as a snapshot of, uh, you know, in, in, to help paint a bigger picture of what will happen to us, you know. Hmm. <laughs> and right, I feel, right. yeah. I feel like you yeah. can't actually draw the right implications if you're trying to start from there. I think, mm-hmm. um, I mean, there's so much more to say about just British labor, uh, in terms of how it got to where it is, because you know, Brexit being the thing that is happening and trying to basically not oppose it or support it is like a one tiny detail of it. But another one is uh, the, like the limitations of 
a, a political vision based on reviving historic social democracy, well, which uh, I think we all think is a delusion, or at least I hope we do. Yeah. Yeah. I well, mean, I, you got to get people fired up, right? But like, I actually think that, you know, there are slogans that appeal to people in a given moment, but I actually don't think that the vision of the most the 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 best wing of labor the ones we supported and are cheering for i don't think that their vision goes beyond that which is partly why they couldn't envision what to do you know like mm. uh it's a, maybe a foolish example but like you know we're all raised in the trotskyist tradition and you look at the war communism nep you know zigzag at a breakneck pace to try to figure out some way to advance is uh, those are all practical, tactical questions, because the vision was something much greater, right? And I think mm-hmm. I think that the, you know, this is a problem of the left around the world. That's the reason why we talk about pessimism of the intellect or whatever. It's because our our political project is is primarily informed by being a little bit more serious than the liberals, but not fundamentally different from. And I think that's what you see on display in the Labour Party. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think that is is exactly right. I think the 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 um uh labor was in the position of not being able to be to, to take a clear um stance on on Brexit one way or the other, precisely because it didn't. There was no okay. What I don't want to say is that uh, the Labor Party should have taken a, a, a strong position uh for or against. Um, you know, for leave or for for remain, uh, and they they failed to take up this like sort of at ready at hand, ready uh, easy to grab uh, demand. I don't know if there is actually a good solution, but the, uh, uh, but whether or not there is a, was a good solution available to them, what they failed to be able to do was to articulate a positive vision on the question that was confronting people uh, that was believable, widely believable. Uh, and uh, uh, so there, uh, uh, if, if they had been capable of putting forward a coherent and believable Lexit position right. uh, and solidly standing behind that, or putting together coherent and uh, believable, um, inter- you know, left-wing internationalist position, uh, I, I, and and stand behind that. I think um, that could have done the job. Either side of the question, I think it could have done, done the job. I don't know if the there actually was a coherent and believable uh, left-wing position on either either side of that question. So uh, labor, I think possibly was in an impossible position a, a, a contributing factor to, to, to this though and um uh whatever compounding factor here though is um a lot of working people are actually really racist uh, <laughs> especially when they are confronted by uh my jobs disappeared and my town is being flooded by immigrants that i never uh, agreed to, you know, let into my country, et cetera, whatever. And, and, and being flooded by immigrants, taking our jobs, working low wage jobs. And they look around, they see that and they think, yeah, these immigrants showed up at, uh, when I, you know, uh, our livelihoods and our, the things that gave us pride and value in our own being was decimated. Now I look around and I see these immigrants. It's an easy sort of psychological connection to make. 
right? And that is really there. That is rooted in people's minds. And you have to be able to deal with that reality in a very concrete and serious and credible way. If only they'd been more anti-Semitic than they were racist, we might have been able to pull this off. <laughs> yeah. So I I have a friend one time and we were driving around in uh, you know some big city and uh, someone cut him off while we were driving. Someone cut him off really like egregiously and he goes, God, man, I fucking hate people that drive Volvos. And I was like, a word? <laughs> Why is that? And he's like, they all suck. They're all idiots. And I was just like, okay, for real? And he's like, yeah, you ever notice that? People who drive Volvos are always cutting me off. It's just the, you can form an opinion based on an entire group of people out of, in one split second. And, you know, that's sort of <laughs> the way that people who don't really think of things, uh, you know, as a big picture generally tend to, they tend to base all of their opinions and all of their their worldview on uh, experiences as they happen to them on the ground. So, right, you lose your job, your factory gets shut down, and a bunch of, you know, Pakistanis live in your neighborhood now. You know, one plus one equals two, am I right? You know? Well, I, I do agree with Kevin 100% in the idea that it was an unforgivable sin of labor to not articulate in its manifesto what a labor Brexit would look like. Yeah, I actually want to disagree with something that Kevin said before we get too far back, because it has to do with what you just said. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, maybe disagree, or, or let's say I want to clarify, because you said uh, there didn't seem to be a coherent either, either position on the left. And mm -hmm. I guess what I wonder, when you say either, do you mean, do you mean remain or leave? Yes, remain or leave. Okay, because the way I think you phrased it is what I was taking issue with, because you said like a left internationalism or a Brexit. And I would argue that you that that we're talking about there was no left international vision for Brexit put forward, and there was no left international uh, vis vision for Remain that was possible. I, I think that the Remain was the delusion, really, and I think that like the experience of the Greeks, whenever a radical left mass movement party of the streets took power on a program on a radical program the Thessalonic Thessaloniki program yeah mm -hmm. and uh and the European Union said yeah that's fine just as long as you rule in exactly the way that the previous party ruled I think that we I think we've already had the experience of what happens when you try to like play by new rules within the old game uh so I think that the like the left internationalist vision has been articulated as remain, and I think that that's the mistake. And I also think that it's probably likely that they would have lost, based on that. You uh, mean if they had just well, ran I mean, on like we are the remain party, we're the Lib Dems? I think yeah. I mean, I think a really good example of that is that the Lib Dems didn't do got their asses well. kicked. Yeah. Now there is an argument that's been put forward that the Scots voted remain, and they also voted for a remain party. But what, what's not being factored in there is that the Remain party they voted for is the National Party. Right. It's which an incredibly been... nationalistic party, which is contra, you know, <laughs> right. the, the purpose of the EU. And did not surge to power on the basis of being a Remain party, but has right. been in government in Scotland for several electoral cycles. So it looks like, a, a you know, really what's happened is that the left has fallen apart over the complications of the national question. 
in a couple of different as it is want to as, do as, <laughs> as it is want to do yeah in a couple of different in a, in a couple of different uh occasions labor has not hasn't been able to appeal to like Scotland's independence movement or or to like quash it right it just tries to be it tries to stand above this contradiction and you can't right because we're we're existing in a time where where people in general are like hyper identitarian and so if you identify yourself as a scottish person as a distinct identity from being european or from being part of the uk then you're going to vote for the party that's speaking to that identity the most and that's that's what the snp was doing labor wasn't speaking to a british identity or even a european identity it was sort of this you know malleable like mess of 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 non-specifics and that's why i think it's just a complete failure that labor didn't articulate what its version of brexit would be so if the idea is okay we're going to come up with a plan and when we decide how to do brexit we're going to kick it back to the voters so that that people can democratically decide if this is the best solution why the fuck didn't you tell people what that plan was going to be when you had the fucking chance well think about how sick of fucking talking about brexit people are they've they're living in constant fear of what could happen and what might happen if they stay you know so it's just like you get both sides of the argument being uh well when you know once brexit happens there's not going to be enough food and then you you have the reality of the situation on the ground is well, Brexit's happening. I mean, Brexit hasn't happened yet, and I don't have I'm enough food. I'm already not eating. Yeah. yeah. So it's just like, get the shit done. Let's fucking just do it. Jump. Yeah, I think there's... Fucking jump. I, I, I think there's know? sense to the idea that people would prefer to just rip the Band-Aid off than have this, like, overly cautious, you know, uh, line-towing, you know, way of, of coming up with a solution. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, if you treat the 2016 uh u.s election as sort of a referendum on neoliberalism then yeah people would rather opt for chaos than you know than something that they've seen a million times and are just fucking tired of yeah i i think the the reason why corbyn did really well last time around and is the same reason why johnson did really well this time around because it was audacity and a willingness to say the normal isn't good enough. I agree with you. Let's try something radically different. Corbin lost ground yeah. when he said, "Well, well, you know, maybe we'll give a, we'll give it one more look over before we really do it." You know, I, I yeah. I really think that he got spooked by the media. I think he no, got spooked absolutely. by the media, and I think he got his arm twisted by his own party. Yeah, um, I think that's honestly, yeah. I think that's more significant. Is the is the internal contradictions within his own party and the lack lack of a. a Consistent the, the, theory among the, the constituents, among the, the representatives. No, I mean, well, they, yes, yeah, they should have mo- just lack of, a, lack of a con- lack of a, a consistent uh, central uh, failure of the base to be uniformly uh, the working class of Britain. Right. Like that is the failure of the party is they have not cohered themselves into being the political expression of the working class of England and nothing else. Right, well, they're split between constituencies, class constituencies. Right, they. Um, I mean, like one of the most. So, this is maybe in an attempt to kind of move a little bit 
uh, on that. One of the most galaxy-brained takes that I have uh, that I have read or on this so far has been out of the Financial Times. Um, I forget who it was that wrote it, but they said that it seems pretty clear after this that Labor's got no shot at power for a number of years unless it's in coalition <laughs> with the Liberal Democrats. <laughs> there, there is a, there is a, there is a section of society in every society that is like viciously, ruthlessly will push the line that the like, the only conceivable politics is the politics of the end of history, and you know, on the furthest right, they're willing to t- dance around it and play and lie and you know, utilize what what mo- motivates people, and on the left, we equivocate. And so the radical center tends to dominate, you know? Right. Yeah. The, the, the more your policy aligns with the idea that there is no alternative, the more people are going to reject the idea that there is no alternative. And so if your party's not articulating what the alternative is, then they're just they're going to stay home is what we learn. Yeah. This is why we talk about the, cancel, the slow cancellation of the future is that people, including the representatives of, you know, uh, the people can't uh envision a future they can't envision a thing that's different than this so they go oh well if we if we leave the european union then um we'll get hit with all these tariffs and then you know there won't be as much investment in business or whatever and uh it scares people because the thing they can't imagine is that business interests might not dominate the discussion anymore after such a radical rupture it's important to remember too that Labor's support in the industrial heartlands has been waning for quite some time. This is not just like, oh, what a big surprise. Uh, Labor's got no social base anymore. Right. Because that's been happening for a while. Uh, The institutions that Labor relied on for its constituency, like the the trade unions and the workers' organizations, those don't exist anymore. Mark Steele wrote about that in The Independent, you know, talking about how these 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 social clubs these 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 union organizations they're dwindling in the areas where we need them the most so labor has become the kind of party that the only kind of party that exists anymore and that's a party without a social base right 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 well and it and it's the case across the board too what's the social yeah, base of true. the of the conservative party i mean Traditionally, it's the upper class and, you know, the police and the military. I mean, I guess that's right? still kind of true. <laughs> but, well, they, uh, but you know, this talk of a great realignment in British politics to me seems, uh, again, I don't live there, you know, but it seems to me to be a bit overwrought. It seems to be a bit, like, hopeful on the part of the people who just won, which, which is to say that, like, yeah, coal miners are now Tories like forever like that's just happened now that's how it's going to be rather than a recognition and i think this is this is we we don't we we mislearn this lesson to our detriment that like everything is chaotic and that means it's gonna things are gonna go wildly back and forth which is why i'm not interested in entertaining much about the the notion uh uh the the discussion about racist working class people distressed working class people are going to cling to whatever might explain something temporarily especially if it looks like it might change their lives that's true of everybody that was my point about like you know forming your opinions based on the one thing that you can tie 
to what bat, whatever bad is happening to you at that one at that right. time. Like someone in a Volvo cuts you off. People that drive Volvos suck. You know, too many Pakistanis in the neighborhood, and my favorite fucking restaurant closed down because the guy couldn't afford his rent anymore. You know, whatever. It's it's just like um, you will, people will, I will, everyone will look for whatever seems the most convenient to explain whatever just happened. Mm-hmm. And it's it doesn't mean that the working class is racist as a whole. Well, well it doesn't mean about... that they're irredeemably so, right? It, it doesn't... Not irredeemably so. Right, right exactly. Yes. It, do, it does mean that they're racist, right? Or, you know, member, That's con- true. members of it are, or whatever. They're not dyed-in-the-wool racist right. as a class. Exactly, right? exactly. Right. And yeah. that's why, that's... But, Jason, I, that's why I would... Uh, defend the way I articulated the problem, posed the problem before, contra how you've posed it here as I'm not willing to entertain this, uh, the the idea that the working class is racist. I, I think we have to entertain it, this notion, precisely because it's such a pressing matter. It is the reason that the Tories won. Well, See, I, that's the thing is I disagree with that. I think, it, it, I think that um, – Racism is a thing that factors into a lot of people's decisions. I think more more often, any kind of explanation whatsoever is given a hearing in a time when the previous explanations don't work. And the reason why I think that's important to make the distinction is because a person who might make an emotionally charged decision that redounds to the benefit of the racists and a racist, you know, they're not the same. I think that people are really very complex. And I think that the reason why they, that's racist doesn't land with most people is because people have a conception of what a racist is. And it's like, that's not me. You know, I just don't think I think it's the, so to, to put it in slightly different terms. I don't think that what you're saying is necessarily incorrect. I just don't think it actually answers any questions. Of course it doesn't answer any questions. It's the posing of the question. I think that the way you phrased it just there is actually uh, really clarifying for me. And I, and I, I don't disagree with that at all. Uh, that The way you've made that distinction between they're racist versus they've made political decisions that were down to the benefit of racists. That's, I, I think that is actually an incredibly helpful distinction to make. So, uh, but I... Uh, what I mean to say, uh, though, uh, and, and uh, is that... This is a question that uh, we can't set to the side and ignore and pretend isn't there. We can, we can and should look at it and understand its uh, where it comes from and why it happens, and understand that it absolutely is entirely contingent on 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 uh, um, you know content. It is uh, arises from contingent facts about the world that could be different, and we could be enter the world as agents within it to uh, cause it to be differently so that uh, members of the working class will make political decisions that will de- redound to the benefit of the uh, of, of socialism rather than uh, socialists rather than to the benefit of racists. Uh, but I mean, we can't I, I... do that without uh, engaging in a world where people uh, working people really are understanding, their own situation as being caused by immigrants. Uh, so what what what's the 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 alternative to uh, working class politics that have a message of uh, a strong 
message of class war and uniting the uh, the working class for the goal of creating a better society. The alternative to focusing on that is what? Um, it seems that the the culture the culture has shifted decisively against racism in in the mainstream. It's you know the mainstream culture all around you. Racism is decried. There's representation in film. There's representation in music and movies. Uh, people get roundly shouted down anytime they say anything that could be remotely perceived as racist, like in public. What else do we need to do other than organize on the ground to combat the the system that props up racism? I I, I honestly I'm not I'm not saying that that's not something that there aren't things that we should do. I'm saying I don't know what we should do. Because it looks like we've won the culture war on the racism front. But guess what? Everything is worse than ever. That's right. So when it comes to the Brexit question, this is just to be very brief about this. I don't think it matters what motivated yeah. people to vote for Brexit. I actually think that focusing on that is the way you don't win the argument. The fact of the matter is that people voted on it and it's happening. The only question is how do you get out in front of it and make it... Uh, utilize that moment as opposed to the desired other moment which has not taken place so like we could even determine that 60 percent of british voters voted for brexit because they you know they hate people from bosnia or something and it wouldn't matter the only thing that would matter is whether or not like a fighting labor government could take power and could enact policies that benefited people to the point where their fucking prejudice about Bosnians didn't actually factor in anymore because it, their lives got better. So it wouldn't matter that they had those that they had that prejudice. It's not to say that we should pander to it. It's just that it's not a uh, it's it's not a tool in the toolkit here. I, I'm I'm reluctant to overemphasize um, the um, sort of reactionary tendencies of the working class, whether that's in this particular instance, whether that's racism or xenophobia or anti-Semitism or whatever it is, because um, what what happened here is not a situation where a bunch of people who had previously voted Labour in 2017 switched and voted for the Tories because they were the Brexit Party. And it's not a situation where uh, where the Tories experienced like surge in voter turnout. Like so, for for instance, in 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 Don Valley. Labor lost 19 points and the conservative vote only went up a single point. I mean, when when it's the same problem that the Democrats have in the United States, it's that the Republican voters, the people that want to vote Republican, will come out basically no matter what and will vote. Whereas Democrats and apparently labor voters are not always going to be consistent in their turnout. And so that's why in in the United States, Democrats always, almost always, do badly in midterm elections because they rely because Democrats have a sort of only, we only focus on natural uh, national general elections. We don't pay any attention to these local elections, and so we continue to get our asses kicked in the midterms. And what has happened here is. Basically, Labor's voters have treated this like a midterm. There wasn't anything important on the plate for them uh, being offered by Labor. And so they just didn't feel like they needed to get out of bed to, to show up to the polling place. 
So I, that's, I think that's true. Uh, but, uh, I think, um, the sort of how that uh, connects back to what, uh, uh, Chris and Jason had just said is that, uh, maybe I'm misarticulating myself in, uh, in, uh, and what I'm saying is not that, uh, we need to go around convincing people to get the racist ideas out of their head and stop being like, you know, uh, uh, having prejudices, uh, but rather the, the point I mean to pose is that how, when, when people are expressing the fact that, uh, you know, I identify with the labor party and I want labor policies, but, um, uh, and, and I don't care about Polish people and Romanian people one way or the other, but I do know that they showed up when, uh, my life turned to shit, my family's life and my entire community turned to shit. Um, and I, so I want closed borders, get the Polish and Romanian out of my community. I, uh, how do you confront that set of constituent voters and convince them to turn out to the polls rather than staying home while not reifying nationalist uh, ideology, nationalist sentiment. Um, maybe, maybe, I, don't, I mean, okay, so it's, I think that's really complicated. And I think it is one of the great questions globally for how the left deals with the question of race. Because we have to be principled and, you know, not just ignore the fact that it that it is, yes, you're right, a, a, a big feature of the landscape. But I think that you, I think you don't counterpose something like Brexit to something like the EU and say, well, Brexit is for the racists and staying in the EU is for the, like, enlightened cosmopolitan types who want to live in a global community. Because if that's the way you pose it, then it doesn't matter if you call somebody a racist because fine, call me a racist, I still know what I think needs to be done. Um, which is to say, we can't double down on the false dichotomy presented to the world uh, by liberalism. Liberalism.